more important uh, than ever. Uh, my name is Paweł Śpieboda. I'm deputy head of the European Political Strategy Center, which is the in-house uh, think tank of the European uh, Commission. And since we all come from uh, think tanks uh, of one sort or the other here at, at, on the podium, um, I should explain uh, the theme of today's uh, discussion. And it's not so much that we think we are the center of the universe uh, as that there is uh, a series of events today uh, around the world uh, to launch uh, the new index by the University of Pennsylvania, an index of uh, global think tanks. Uh, and the theme of this year's uh, accompanying discussions is exactly this. So why are think tanks more important um, than, than ever. And of course, uh, think tanks uh, go back uh, almost 200 years. Um, if one takes the uh, creation of Royal United Services Institute in London in 1831 as the starting point, then it is almost 200 years. And uh, uh, Carnegie in 1910, Brookings uh, later that decade, and of course an explosion of uh, think tanks after the Second World War in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, but today's circumstances are particularly uh, challenging, uh, given, uh, I would say, three factors at least. Uh, complexity of uh, decision-making, um, um, the difficulty of building consensus, um, and also the fact that evidence-based policy is uh, increasingly challenged. And, and we're here to discuss uh, these, these issues with uh, uh, four excellent uh, speakers uh, in alphabetical order, Matt Dan, Secretary General of, uh, of, of Bruegel, uh, Sophie Gaston, who is uh, Head of External um, Projects and External Affairs at, at, at Demos UK, uh, Corinna Hurst, uh, Deputy Director of the German Marshall Funds um, of the United States office here in Brussels, and uh, Olena Pristaiko, who heads the uh, liaison office of Ukrainian uh, think tanks in Brussels. So very warm welcome. We have exactly an hour for the discussion. Uh, we are being live streamed, so you can watch us again uh, also on the web. And speakers will have about five to seven uh, minutes in their opening round. And I will start with, uh, with uh, Matt. So why are think tanks more important, Matt? Thank you. Um, um uh, usually one starts um, the response to a question like this with, what an interesting question. Um, and, and I'm going to, um, uh, I am not going to follow that routine. Um, I think that we're asking the wrong question. I think that uh, in light of recent events um, in terms of voting uh, in the UK and the United States, um, uh, I think that think tanks are in danger of preaching to the converted. Um, despite um, our efforts of um, uh, making sure that facts were available to people, um, uh, we still failed to um, have the kind of impact that we hoped we would with the kind of people that we need to have an impact on. Um, so I've been thinking about this um, and wondering why. And um, I was looking at a different example, um, and that is on the communication um, of science. Um, you may or may not be aware, but there was a movement um, recently um, uh, against vaccination. Um, and it was the perfect kind of example of what we're facing as think tanks um, in terms of uh, um, facts and alternative facts. Um, and um, I was looking at um, um, uh, what we might be able to do um, to be able to, um, um, to counter that. I also um, read something, um, there's a book um, uh, by Richard P. Grant, um, which looks at the communication of science and science facts. Um, and he asked the question, why do people persist in beliefs that are wrong and, and even harmful? And I think we also, as think tanks, um, have lessons to learn here um, in terms of how we must change our operations. Um, and I, I think that you know, if we are in a post-truth world, it is not as simple um, as, um, as, as the facts not being available. Um, in analysis, post-analysis of, of both the Brexit vote and the vote for Trump, um, um, the breakdown in trust um, um, that started in the financial crisis is now being visited in terms of um, people not believing statistics. 
Um, and um, uh, I, I wanted to point to um, a Marketplace Edison research poll um, that said four in ten Americans somewhat or completely distrusted economic data released by the federal government. Now, um, as organizations um, that believe in fact-based analysis and policy research based on evidence, um, we are in danger of failing uh, in being able to achieve anything if we cannot work out a way to be able to address um, the people who don't believe in statistics um, and either persuade them uh, a, to believe in statistics, or B, to believe in our arguments despite the fact that we use statistics. Um, the same phenomenon was observed um, in the United Kingdom. And here, um, you know, the, the point I want to emphasize here is that um, <clears throat> um, there was a movement in the UK which thought that those who voted for Brexit were uneducated and thought that they were voting um, for something that they didn't understand or didn't understand the consequences of. Um, and it's very clear that that is, is, is not uh, the case. What's also clear, though, on the other hand, is that um, um, uh, is, and, and, and this is ongoing research by YouGov um, and the Cambridge Conspiracy and Democracy Project, um, uh, is that there is an increasing um, tendency for a certain section of the population um, to believe um, in uh, alternative facts, to believe in conspiracy theories. Um, and again, this is something as think tanks we um, should be thinking about um, if we want to avoid um, preaching to the converted. Um, so I have left a lot of open questions um, uh, which I'm not going to answer, and I hope that um, we, you know, that they'll take part, uh, be a part of this debate, um, uh, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing to my esteemed colleagues. Matt, thank you very much. If I could uh, ask you a supplementary question right right away, following what you have said, namely, um, you said that uh, think tanks should learn how to convey the message to, to those who don't believe in statistics, but is it really a role of, of think tanks to, to address those, those communities? Because if, if someone doesn't believe in statistics, um, then with all the armory of think tanks, are you really going to be able uh, to appeal and, uh, and change the uh, outlook of, uh, of, those, of those people? Isn't, isn't the task of think tanks just to keep on doing what, what we are best at? Um, the, so that's a very good question. So what we get down to is the real question, and that is, is the role of think tanks to continue to provide evidence-based policy uh, answers to policymakers, or do we have a role um, in either A, educating and informing the public, or B, persuading the public? Now, until very recently, um, we didn't have the choice of being able to educate or persuade the public because the only access we had to the public was through the press. Um, and um, you uh, could do that well or badly, but the press also has its own agenda, um, and you were never entirely in control of the message that you gave. Um, so I think this is a much, uh, a much more important question, and that, and that is, does is the role of think tanks changing? Do we have a role to play um, in educating and informing the public as well as informing uh, policymakers? Yeah. And, and, and uh, my answer to that is, I don't know, I'm not sure. And if the answer is yet, yes, um, there are very few think tanks who have the capacity to be able to do that. Um, um, uh, you know, this is one opportunity where think tanks get to pat themselves on the back. Um, we do quite well um, in our sector, and, and, and we struggle to, um, you know, we'll never have the same number of Twitter followers as, as Donald Trump. <laughs> it's just, you know, that's just the way it's it is. It's not the so. level of ambition. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. Uh, Sophie can, can tell us uh, much more about the context in which we are operating and how quickly this uh, changing given the nature of your work, uh, which is focused a lot on, on populism, on the future of democracy. Sophie. Thank you. Um, is, this, is this working? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, I, I have a handheld microphone because I'm wearing a dress. Um, 
So I wanted to think about uh, the role of think tanks now in this sort of post-truth environment in a couple of ways. And I think the number one way in which think tanks can play a role right now is to help <coughs> governments to govern. And I think really over the past uh, decade in particular, we've seen a lot of think tanks that are actually really just campaign groups uh, masquerading as, as think tanks or maybe public affairs lobby groups uh, masquerading as think tanks. Uh, I think there's been this a, a culture that's been created of sort of shaking one's fist at government. And I think we have to recognize that we are in a very precarious, potentially dangerous time for democracy at the moment. And that think tanks can actually be playing a positive role in strengthening the legitimacy of democratic government and institutions. So I think it is worth think tanks starting to think about the positive role they can play in supporting government. Um, the second way I think in which they can help governments govern is through policy. So this should be our bread and butter. But a lot of the issues that we are seeing right now, they are political in nature, and they are also uh, related to public policy failures. Um, and I think that there is a lot of work that think tanks could be doing on solving these challenges, whether they are economic challenges or social challenges that have been kicked into the long grass for too long. Now is the time for creative thinking, for blue sky thinking, for actually asking difficult questions, and that is a public policy mindset that the civil service is not always able to achieve. So I think, again, this is where think tanks can really come in. The second way in which I think think tanks can fundamentally help uh, with the situation that we're in right now is to act as a bridge between citizens and government. And obviously there, is a, there are myriad civil society organizations that are trying to do this, but I think think tanks have a critical role on the policy side. So at Demos, we've always had this as part of our ethos, but again, it's something that we're thinking about now much more explicitly. Our ethos is to connect people and power, and I think all think tanks um, can think about their role there. Uh, for example, uh, undertaking qualitative <coughs> research, thinking about what groups in society are invisible to policymakers, to data collectors. Uh, we are seeing with populism a rise of non-voters. Why have these people been outside the system for so long? How can we actually capture them? I mean, we're so shocked by all these results because they don't actually speak to pollsters. They are non-voters. Um, how can we see the unseen? And I think that think tanks, again, have a really strong role to play here. So invisible groups, invisible issues, bringing their voice to the corridors of power, I think there is a very strong connecting function there. So I think just to sum up, I think uh, reinforcing and defending the democratic legitimacy of our governments and our institutions, number one. Two, helping tackle these big social and economic policy challenges. And, and three, being a, a, a stronger, uh, more cohesive bridge between citizens and government. I think there's three key ways in which think tanks can help. Sophie, thank you very much. That seems to me to be an enormous uh, agenda for, for any single think tank. So, so maybe we need to think about creating um, alliances uh, for, for these uh, objectives in the future. Corina, what does it look like from uh, the perspective of a think tank that has the ambitious uh, task of working for uh, transatlantic uh, uh, unity uh, in a period in which we, first of all, I suppose, need to understand each other better yeah. in terms of what is exactly going on uh, on both sides of the pond. Um, well, let me try and tackle that. Um, but first of all, thanks to Bruegel for organizing this. Uh, I think it's a valid conversation to have at this time. And I'm definitely going to play a little bit of sort of entrepreneurial American because I actually think that the sort of current environment, we needed a wake-up call. Um, I think we needed a bit of this disruption um, to have us all, and think tanks in particular, how we work and whether what we work is actually achieving. Um, I know it's incredibly risky, but I think it's an incredible opportunity. And so I'm trying to impose a bit of sort of 
positive again you know let's let's try and, and do something with this crisis sort of or see an opportunity in the crisis because i think we've gotten incredibly complacent about the type of work we do and it kind of goes think tanks are part of the elite um, by proximity we're well, well educated especially in the sort of european environment um, we also have lost touch with the, with parts of the um, sort of population um, I think it was, you know, we've become too lazy and, you know, it was easy to speak to with like-minded people um, and people familiar with the policy issues and we, we didn't think about sort of going beyond the sort of circles. Um, the other sort of half of the population that are sort of skeptics of yeah, statistics, policy makers and, and even sort of the news. Um, I also think there was a certain degree of arrogance. Um, we sort of know certain stuff, so we think we are better than the others. And, you know, forbid us to sort of really um, listen. So I think now there is really sort of a point where, you know, moving forward, and we're certainly doing this at the German Marshall Fund because with the Trump administration coming in, um, we're I mean, not only do we deal with new people, but we're dealing with people who are very skeptic of think tanks and, 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 and sort of institutions um, and experts and um, much more people who are sort of with transactional and personal relationships. And so it requires us to sort of think newly how, you know, how we reach um, the audience that we're sort of trying to capture. Um, so for me, this is an opportunity for think tanks to um, really think about their own setup and um, try to better reflect the diversity of the societies. Um, in Europe, it would be Europe, it's the member states, but then also sort of the different communities, but it's also in terms of gender, age, political views, um, ethnicity and religion. I think think tanks need to reflect that um, to be more credible. Um, I think our experts need to be much more exposed to opposing views. Um, they need to listen. Um, they in, need to sort of be invited to f defend their own views, um, force people to argue and become aware of their own biases, um, and engage with new audiences. I think we need to have new kinds of, of, of conversations and be more humble. But then also, and that's sort of a very important point, be, we need to also think about how do we remain independent. Um, we're part of the elite, but it also has to become really clear that we need to be seen as independent and separate from sort of um, the, 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 poli um, the policy environment. Um, what it means sort of for the German Marshall Fund in particular, um, and maybe as a preface, I mean, I have the privilege to work for an institution that clearly defines itself today as a think tank and a public policy institution, but actually comes much more out of the sort of context of a foundation. We used to be a grant-making organization. We gave grants to other institutions to have transatlantic programs. And so... Nowadays, we're very much a hybrid. We still do grant making um, in the Balkan and the Black Sea region, which means we have network and access to civil society. And maybe it comes up when, when you speak is uh, actually, I'm not sure I see, see think tanks as part of a civil society. Um, again, I think think, think tanks are part of the elite. It's sort of on the other <coughs> side, but there is a role to play as a bridge. Um, but the German Marshall Fund has, also has um, quite an extensive array of fellowship programs. So over the years, we build sort of committed transatlanticists. So we have an alumni network. Again, people that are outside of the capitals. And so we have an incredible opportunity these days now to really go beyond the sort of policy circles and engage um, these people. And I sort of very much hope, and I'm certainly going to be somebody at the German Marshall Fund, is really to push for that. So it's sort of outreach to new sort of audience, bring in new perspectives. Um, I think we need to be uh, smarter about how we deal with social media and how we use it. Um, we also need to think about different formats as how we get our information out there. I think, yeah, we're increasingly dealing with people who are not willing to read policy briefs and policy papers. Um, so are there different ways of how we can engage them? Um, it's very important that um, there's a disclaimer about the independence of the experts, um, the independence of, of the institution to the degree that's possible if they're not affiliated with political parties or sort of companies, um, be transparent about where the funding comes from um, and really put this out there. I think the EU registry is sort of a beginning. America has much tougher laws when it comes to displaying where money comes from, and I think it is necessary because it helps us sort of 
keep our sort of um, independence um, and, and sort of status, um, have rules about ethics, um, you know, what are the kind of experts that you hire and take on board, and, you know, what other um, activities can they do on the side, and be really adamant about quality. Um, I think some experts and some think tanks have gotten a bit sloppy about sort of the policies and the opinion pieces they put out there. So I think, again, it's sort of we need to... Um, uh, reflect on that and sort of maybe one last pitch to um, address the sort of diversity issue. For me, this is um, also very much about new innovative ideas coming out and sort of new perspectives that contribute to sort of policy making. And I just wanted to sort of mention this here. Um, there's an initiative going on in Brussels. It's called The Binder. Um, there's a consortium of think tanks that is um, trying to establish a database of female policy experts to sort of break that uh, bind about having a lot of uh, panels that are mostly men, mostly men over 60. I'm not against uh, this sort of perspective, but I think we really have an opportunity now to bring those experienced men together with other perspectives. Gender is a start, but we also need to have ethnicity, religion, different political views, age, to come forward and have different kind of conversations that allow us different perspectives that then come to different um, kind of policy recommendations. And I think we really, we are at a, sort of turning point, and I see this as an opportunity because it's all about um, innovation. And then maybe just as a last point, um, I mean, it, and maybe it's a bit, you know, sort of fluffy, but I really would love to see um, think tanks, you know, provide ideas, debates, and dreams. Um, I think we need to go back to sort of have, you know, so really dreams, new ideas. We need to think about, you know, get these ideas out, and I agree with Sophie, there is sort of a mediating role that think tanks can play between society and sort of policymakers and the stakeholders. It's the bridge, the theory and the practice, the ideas and the action, and ensure that there's competence and um, sort of quality, and the most important thing is independence. So I'll leave it at here. Thank you very much. Having Steve Lalaland last night, I'm all with you for going back to dreams, uh, especially <laughs> this morning. <laughs> But, uh, but thank you so much, Karina, for, for stressing in particular how rigorous uh, think tanks need to be in this, in this new environment. But if I, if I again cannot resist the temptation of following up on this, because uh, you, said, you said that we should bring in new perspectives, but did you mean that we should ourselves be more open to a diversity of views in the way we reflect on, on the reality? Or do you mean that we should present uh, a broader spectrum of perspectives our, ourselves, which I think would, would be a big challenge for many of our organizations, eh? because uh, I think we are in what we do, because we, we have a certain value system, because we believe in, in a certain number of things. Uh, so that, by definition, is not exactly a model that, that suits being uh, open to all possible perspectives. Because so, the, the two, I think, are, are different. I mean, we should be open in, in a sense that we should uh, listen to uh, many more people that we have probably not listened to before. Uh, but in order to, to shape our own thinking or in order to, to be more of a platform for debate in which everybody finds a place. For me, it's both. Um, okay. we, we think tanks should definitely listen more to sort of opposing views. Now, it's a different question that some people here in Brussels who don't believe in the EU, you know, they don't really want to talk um, with us. Um, but I also think there is, little, there is something about going out, um, especially for those of us who are here. We all come from certain member states. We should be also out there in member states. We should, all of us who believe in the EU or transatlantic relations, we should be out in our home constituency, uh, sort of being ambassadors. And, there, I think many of us have plenty of family members who are probably very skeptical about the EU. Those are the people we should be talking to and sort of dare to have these kind of conversations. I know with Brexit or with Trump, it's a bit harder. It has really created sort of divisions within families. But I think we, it's too easy for experts to sit behind their computers and read instead of talking. Very much. Olena, you can, you can bring uh, both uh, a Brussels perspective, but also a perspective from a country undergoing transformation where I imagine the demand for expertise is, uh, is, is enormous. 
and where there is a fertile uh, ground for, for, for think tanks. Thank you. Yes, you listen. Yeah, thank you very much, and thank you, Bruegel, for this event. It's really good to highlight our role. If not us, then who? And then I will directly start with the answering the question, why are the think tanks more important than ever before? And in case of Ukraine, it's just because we understood uh, the power and impact which our work uh, is doing and has done on our societies. And I'm uh, referring to a very particular issue of uh, three years uh, before Euromaidan in Ukraine, and this is the support, this huge support of the population of the European integration idea and relations with the EU, and uh, really a huge share of this support, it was the previous work of the NGOs, but also the think tanks as the pioneers. For many years already, the think tanks, uh, we have been doing uh, regional seminars, Kiev seminars. We've been speaking to many different strata of societies, very uh, reluctant, for example, but trying to convince that this is the way we see as the way for the reforming of the country. And so then when we saw this huge success, not, uh, not success, but huge uh, support, maybe some of us were even surprised uh, how much has been done. And now, of course, we are in this uh, transformation period. And the role uh, is, being, is being transforming. Many of our representatives and our experts became now the parts of the government which actually had a good and bad impacts, uh, because good, it's just like uh, bringing uh, more insight and more civil society view, but then also because it was devastating for our sector, for our industry, but now we are uh, working more on growing young professionals uh, to bring new people into our think tank community. And I just, in general terms, in Ukraine, what, uh, what role uh, the think tanks play? Uh, first of all, it's as usual, it's like inserting new ideas into the policy world, into the society discussion platform. Then, of course, uh, uh, being as such a discussion platform for the ideas and for the communication between the governments and people, knowledge sharing with society, formulating in, um, yes, and this is, it has been already mentioned, of course, and now it's never it has never been so huge a role as uh, before. It's like now uh, many think tanks, if you want, even substitutes the governmental structures, transforming, uh, uh, formulating the policies. And so this dialogue uh, between the government and the think tanks became very uh, uh, large at scale. It has been before, but it was more formal. But now it's uh, really. Of course, we will need to make assessment of how far they take our recommendations and how much it has been implemented. But this is our task to do. And then uh, also, I just wanted to mention that currently we are doing the research uh, on EU and Ukrainian think tanks in order to write uh, a practical guide for those think tanks, uh, for the work with the international partners, donors, and stakeholders, meaning they're making the impact. And uh, the main results will be presented in our events in the end of uh, February. It's, uh, sorry, if it's, it's, it will be advertisement, but it's not advertisement, it's just for the course. Uh, it's uh, Brussels Ukraine Lab. We will present the main uh, uh, the results, but now I just want to highlight uh, some issues which I believe are important in course of this discussion. Both, we have interviewed both Ukrainian and EU think tanks, and it was survey online uh, survey, and uh, also individual interviews, and Matt Dan and uh, Bruno let uh, participate. And um, what we have discovered, so many these problems, and also probably the vision, are shared by both EU and Ukrainian think tanks. What we differ is the environment we are working in. But understanding of its role, of our role in the society, it's pretty similar. And both of the sides, first of all, I will start with this, they expressed uh, hopes that more cooperation will be established in order to make us uh, stronger. But what was uh, really, we identified uh, the major communalities, if you want, both uh, quality of research is the key for everything what we do. Then, uh, really a growing need for policy recommendation work 
has been identified. So now think tanks do not have any luxury just to make a research and that's all. With your publication, the work is only starting, right? Then uh, growing demand for, prof for professionalization of the think tanks, meaning that the core research team must be backed up and supported by non-research people who will be able to bring your messages to the audience who will be able to uh, help you to fundraise and to make your think tank sustainable and reputable. Then, of course, a growing demand for measurement of our impact. So we need to learn uh, from business. It came actually from business and we need to continue grow, uh, learning from them how to measure. Of course, it's something you cannot touch the impact. You cannot, but there are some measurements which you can and you should introduce. And then, of course, a growing demand for crowdfunding. So we need to find and also to take, and this is probably one of the instruments, how to engage people. Because if they are ready to pay for your research, for your policy paper, then it means that you engage them from the very start. And this is the way how to ask the demands of people, what they are interested to know about how the government, for example, works. Why don't we, yeah, we just ask. It's, it should be taken in our strategizing circle. When we set up our topics, which we want to research, we need to consult both our stakeholders, like decision makers, but also the people. And then just a few words. I have some um, own cooperation between you, uh, Ukraine, and I think I think it it is relevant uh, for other uh, countries with non-EU <laughs> countries, meaning uh, that they have do not have such a long history of uh, existence of the think tanks. But as I said in the beginning, the understanding of the role is similar. Environment is different, and this environment, meaning administrative obstacles. Uh, financial obstacles, not in the count, in the amounts of money, but it's also the problem, but also how you report all these issues, which are now obstacles, but what we have identified, much more knowledge transfer from the societies with a higher culture of the think tank industry is needed to, to societies with the less developed think tank culture. It's just, yes, I know that not all of the mechanisms which now exist in EU are applicable for Ukraine or for any other country. But at least uh, many of our majority of experts came back that you should not invent, reinvent uh, the VILO. You just learn from the best practices and try to, and this is also the task for the think tank community itself, and it has been identified that we need our unity, more unity inside our circles. And why? First of all, of course, to make change in the policy, but also in order to change the environment so that we will create more comfortable, not comfortable, but more also comfortable uh, conditions of, for our work. So this is a complexity we are, and so we totally share that, yes. Uh, but the vision is that we will, in, in any case, we will win because... In the post-truth society, truth will always. I believe in this uh, because otherwise, there's no way out. That yes, truth will win in any case. Elena, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, you showed uh, to us that there is uh, high demand for a traditional, classical role uh, of uh, think tanks, um, and sometimes our approaches uh, could lead to different uh, emphasis. Uh, you said that unity. Uh, for you is important because uh, you know you have uh, um, other challenges and you need to make sure that your voice is heard. Uh, Corina stressed more the diversity of views which now has to be uh, accounted for. Um, thank you so much. I would love to ask you how, how um, um, all of this impacts on the models of functioning uh, of your organizations. Uh, but since we have 20 minutes left, I would like to open up uh, uh, immediately for, for questions or comments. Uh, we will have at least one, one round, uh, uh, but maybe two, maybe two rounds. Let's see. Huh? Please, if you could introduce yourselves, please. Uh, 
My name is Geert Laporte. I belong to the European Centre for Development Policy Management. It's a think tank that deals with uh, uh, mainly Europe's uh, development and foreign policy, Europe's Africa relations. Uh, we live indeed in a post-truth world. Facts don't matter. It has been said by some of you and it's really a reality in which we are living as think tanks at this very moment. And I think that uh, uh, what we witness uh, more and more is that paymasters uh, start to consider think tanks as consultants. Uh, you become a consultant, you get a kind of uh, amount of funding, and you deliver a product that is uh, useful for the policymaker who pays you. Uh, that's one of the biggest risks, of course, of our world of think tanks. And how can we avoid this? Let me just uh, say this in, in, in one minute uh, on the basis of our own experience. What do you need to do to keep up your independence? First of all, it's very important to have flexible funding. We have multi-annual funding from some eight middle-sized EU member states. They are not in the board of our organization. They don't interfere in no way whatsoever with the way we operate. I think it's crucial, eh? multi-annual funding. Uh, secondly, I think think tanks should avoid to engage in lobbying and advocacy. Um, leave that to others, to NGOs, to civil society organizations with whom we work very well, no, by the way, but everyone has his own role to play. And thirdly, rather than working with sometimes dull recommendations, eh, the should, the mights, the coulds, try to be as practical as possible for policymakers. Work with policy options out of which policymakers can choose. And at the end of the day, Maybe you sometimes will have problems with some policymakers who don't like your analysis, but I'm very convinced that quality will always prevail. And people who will, at a certain moment, treat you in a very critical way will come back after a while and say, look, you were right. This was the right evidence-based analysis. Okay, thank, thank you. you very much. So we need a type of code of conduct uh, yes. for, for uh, think tanks. Uh, uh, please, lady uh, in the third row, yes, and then the gentleman here. Thank you very much. Thank you in particular to Dr. Horst, who I, I couldn't agree more with, um, with this idea of uh, the need for diversity and, and in order to create innovative thinking. But I wonder if we take that a step further. Um, when we think about think tanks, we often think about not just the elite, but the liberal elite. So generally, those um, you know, very educated, uh, usually quite wealthy um, uh, individuals, usually often white men, but not, not necessarily, um, who believe in globalization, believe in trade between nations, believe in um, uh, an openness to, to people, in particular around uh, immigration, for example, um, the positive effects of immigration. Do we need to, if we really want to take diversity to, to a sort of another level, to really question uh, those sort of very liberal um, beliefs that a lot of think tanks have not just by listening to people, but actually including more of those sort of views um, amongst the staff who work there. Thank you very much. Very uh, fundamental question. So the gentleman here, then we go back. Yes. Uh, David Mayer from the Joint Research Centre of the European Commission, the Science and Knowledge Service. Two quick questions. What can uh, think tanks do to increase the demand from politicians and policymakers for evidence? Uh, because that appears to be under some challenge at the moment. And uh, a question, what can we learn from the Ukraine about how to combat deliberate misinformation? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, gentleman on the back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, citizens. My name is Angelos Harlaftis. I'm representing uh, Epavos Advisors. Um, we think that the think tanks, it's an American way of thinking. And as the new situation makes walls. The wall is convenient also for Europe and Mediterranean. Uh, if we want Europe and Mediterranean to, with other nations and other territories to create a new environment, a new civilization, because our approach is a metamodern one. Uh, so we believe the think tanks, it's a, it's a kind of war machines. Actually, the first thing, think tanks, is mo probably most of you, you, you know, they were invented uh, in 1830 from, uh, um, in uh, the, uh, England, and later on, the Americans in 1910, with the Carnegie uh, think tank, they made this, uh, this institution, which is based on rooms where during the war, the strategic, the army, 
were gathering and they were thinking. So I think we, the civilization we have is more peaceful, and we should make another approach of what is a think tank, at least from the European part. We have a solution. We don't believe on the think tanks, which they were created by the Americans and their machines to enter to the civilization. They did well, but now we have to change. Thank you. Right, thank you very much. Uh, let, let's maybe stop here for a moment. We'll have a second uh, round in, in just uh, a minute. So I think, I think uh, some of these questions were really es essential for, for the way think tanks um, organize the work and see their, 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 their future. Um, but Corina, since one of the questions was addressed to you, although I would like other uh, speakers also to relate to it, so, namely this, this liberal <coughs> doctrine, uh, to what extent uh, it is really about our, uh, our core set of values and propositions, um, and should we, as we go along, uh, adapt, or should we stick to what we, what we believe is right? Mm. No, it was a good question, um, and I'm not sure I can answer, but there's sort of a couple of ideas. I mean, in the U.S., you have Democratic as well as Republican think tanks, so they are very much opposing views. And I think diversity you also find on both sides of the political spectrum in terms of ethnicity, religion, gender. So I think it can be done that within sort of those both sides, you can um, bring the diversity sort of to the table. It's maybe a bit harder in Brussels because yes, we are, those of us who are here, we believe in Europe. Uh, we don't challenge that as a premise. We might have different ideas about what Europe should look like. Um, I think in Brussels, the challenge is now to really bring the diversity of the EU member states to Brussels, the policy institution, as well as the think tanks. Um, and that very much is a question about sort of the, the hiring and developing and sort of retaining uh, practices that all the institutions here have. Um, but it's also about sort of being a bit more open in terms of looking for new types of people to bring in. Um, if I can just address the, I totally agree with you about the multi-year and flexible funding. Um, I think there is also an opportunity for think tanks to collaborate maybe with private sector fundings who do have a particular vision, but it's about you know, them giving money to think tanks and make it uncommitted, unrestricted funds so they can become part of the pool and in some ways provide a platform for their voices to be heard, but in sort of a, a neutral um, you know, environment that it, it sort of allows companies to sort of be part of a conversation. The key to that is then really about the transparency and making it open sort of where's the money coming from. Um, but, you know, it serves both sides um, a little bit. And um, the one question about, you know, what can think tanks do to, to fulfill the demands of policymakers is um, I really think we need to um, come up with new ideas, new formats as to how we bring our knowledge out there. It's not just policy briefs, but it's conversations. It's being part of expert groups. It's maybe private dinners where think tanks serve um, as a neutral platform where they bring different again, opposing views to the table and then allow for a very creative, different kind of debate. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Sabrina. <clears throat> I think on the question of liberalism, again, it's, it's the same in the UK. We have a very diverse range of think tanks right across the political spectrum. I think it's relatively balanced. Uh, obviously, as the government... Uh, changes, so does the favour of particular think tanks, and so there's this constant metamorphosis and evolution in the in the relationship and the proximity of various ideas to government. Um, it is relatively balanced, I think, overall. Um, the issue is probably more diversity of thinking within organisations. It's very difficult um, when because obviously it's self-reinforcing the sort of people who apply to work in that organization are generally generally align with the viewpoint. So I think one way that we try and get around that is obviously we, we are uh, try and have as broad a church as we possibly can internally, but also in the work that we do 
trying to create as many opportunities to bring people from very opposing sectors, viewpoints, walks of life together in deliberative forums and we see ourselves as a mediator for that. So that's one way in which we address that. Um, I think on the sort of consultants and lobbyist question about think tanks, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of think tanks uh, have got into some pretty bad habits with chasing the government's tail. Uh, they would just, you know, to have impact in the corridors of power. It was a very prosaic understanding of that. I think with impact, we need to think its value is linked to the starting point. And I think what was your objective there? Was your objective to be on the front page of the news or was your objective fundamentally to improve the lives of citizens or change that policy that you know is harming our economic prosperity, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there needs to be a spirit of public service in think tanks. Uh, that might be a controversial idea, but I, I certainly believe it. Um, and just quickly on, on the demand, I think going straight to policymakers is not necessarily always the way to create um, demand you can create demand and the right environment and appetite for change through the media, through citizens, through working with um, different civil society organizations. So I really think that think tanks need to be reaching out more and starting to build coalitions around shared interests, not necessarily themselves doing the advocacy, because I agree, I think there should be a separation, but at least looking for different channels through which they can uh, affect change. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, Olena, if you could also relate to this question about your experience in fighting uh, disinformation. I mean, is, is that, because from what you have said, your task is more to, to bring in the expertise, but, but surely mm -hmm. uh, you operate in an environment where there's a lot of disinformation. So how much of a, of a challenge is that? Bringing expertise is also the yes, instruments to fight. What I have just noted, uh, the question, uh, the answer is uh, to bring the truth to different audience uh, using different instruments and never stop. <coughs> so this is an uh, ongoing process. Uh, the danger is that you need to secure freedom of speech while you fight against propaganda. So this is, uh, you have to be, because some of issues, it's, it has to be pro probably prohibited, but then you should be very clear on your legal basis so that you secure the freedom of speech. And now it's, uh, it's an interesting issue, and I think it needs more research, not only in Ukraine, but also everywhere. Uh, I would say some words about this advocacy and so on and so on. Maybe then we need to di differentiate because we do with our policy work, and this is actually what you said, that be practical for policymakers. But why? If you do not do any impact or any advocacy, why should you care about them if you do only research? So I agree that probably not direct advocacy, but all our work, and this is the definition of the work of the think tank, is making impact. And advocacy and lobbying is just the instruments of doing this. Yes, so you can have more impact if you don't <laughs> lobby. If you link policy to practice without a lobbying strategy behind it, you're sometimes but then you, incredible. But then you go uh, on your third point saying that you must be practical for the decision makers. So I, I see some controversy here. So we stop. Yes, I agree. We can do. Some other organizations can do based on the research but uh, the meaning of the work is to make a, the public publication itself or research itself that is not going to make any change unless you do something with this. So. Lena, thank you very much. And, and Matt, uh, should think tanks change their views when circumstances change? Uh, and how do we create demand for think tanks work? And I, I, for us, the current circumstances have created plenty of demand. Thank you, David. 
Um, when you have a situation, uh, let's talk about cake. When you have a situation where everybody in the United Kingdom wants cake um, and eat it and more cake and so on, um, and, uh, and um, the EU 27 say um, you can't have cake unless you allow other people to come and eat the cake. I'm going to go too far here. Um, um, you know, that's, that's, it, that's an insoluble situation, and that is demand for think tanks. That is where we step in. Um, because we have the ability to say the unsayable. We have the ability to say um, uh, we have four holy cows and maybe one of them isn't as holy as the other. Um, uh, and maybe we could um, you know, uh, look at that differently. Um, and um, so I think that there, you know, there, there is plenty of demand. Now, um, whether that's demand from policymakers, that's a good question. Um, and I think that that comes down to how well we operate as think tanks um, and how well um, uh, we develop networks um, with those people who are a part of the policymaking um, uh, machine. Um, I think I want to, I, I would also like to, to comment on um, advocacy and lobbying. Um, I think you make a valid point. Um, however, for a think tank like Bruegel, whose mission is to, uh, is to improve the quality of economic policy making um, rather than just to produce a report, um, to, re to produce a report and to do nothing with it um, is, is not uh, an option for us because um, that's not our mission. We actually have to change something, we have to improve something, um, and that involves necessary action. But I think you make a very good point that we can do more um, uh, collectively um, to let people know what are our values. What are our values as think tanks? Um, I, I, I also believe um, uh, the way that Sophie does, we can do more to give evidence that we are public goods. One way we do that is to acknowledge that every time we make a policy recommendation, when you change the status quo, someone loses something. Um, and I think as think tanks, we often uh, leave that aside because perhaps it's too difficult to resolve. But I think more and more we have to acknowledge when you change the status quo, somebody loses something and we have to consider that. Um, I think that we, you know, uh, another way to improve diversity um, and... Um, let me uh, be a little méchant here and, um, and say I'm, I, I, I may not look it, but I am under 60. Um, and, um, uh, and I thought I'd done with coming out many, 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 many years ago. Um, uh, but, you know, it's even more important nowadays, so I'm, I'm not a heterosexual man. Um, uh, I've been badly educated and come from a very poor background. Um, but here I am still believing in the free movement of people and liberal values. Um, one of the answers um, that, the, that, that the science communicator that I talked about um, proposed um, was that we need to put a little more emotion um, into our arguments. Um, and this is, this is an interesting idea. It is something that is anathema to think tanks, um, but it is perhaps something that we uh, need to think about or to partner with organizations who can put some emotion um, into, um, into the, the, the lobbying. Um, did I talk about government? Yeah, you made a very good point about governance. Um, um, being a good think tank, being independent, isn't just about um, a diverse funding base, but it's also about good governance. Um, and I think we shoot ourselves in the foot if we don't make it very clear to people um, how we are different from lobbyists, how we are different from consultancies, because we do compete with them here in Brussels. Um, you know, we are competing for the time and attention of the public and of policymakers. Um, and if we want to say, uh, we, we should make it clear why, why we are different um, uh, uh, from, from them. And, and it's all about saying uh, we are a public good. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mads. I'm afraid that it is 10 o'clock, and so that means we have run out of time. So unless the, the remaining questions uh, were burning ones that had to be answered uh, in, here in public, uh, please decide for yourselves. Uh, I mean, you, you, you just asked the question, so maybe if we could continue um, um, afterwards, unless, unless you, you, you feel um, 
a burning need to share it with us, then, then I would allow it, of course, but, but very briefly. Yes? Yes? Okay, yes, that's, that, that is true. I mean, we want, we want diversity of views here, as we have said. Sorry to prolong, I have a bit of a burning need because I, I wonder what the think tanks are all about. I mean, because, you know, my original idea of a think tank is one where, I guess, the classical idea where you are pretty much coordinating serious research, policy relevant research, uh, including through networks of researchers, as Bruegel does very well. But then there is the other more modern and uh, also in terms of or, or in, oriented towards influencing more policy making, which is focusing more on advocacy, lobbying, divulgation, seminars, conferences, websites, Twitter, the press, the TV, just to, to really try to influence policy makers. But the problem is that I think you have to try to strike a balance because if you try to focus so much on the, the second, you know, more attempt to influence, you can also, in the end, disregard a bit the, the hardcore research that has to be behind. So my idea is that how you try to balance this and also you cannot, as you try to make be a bridge between the population and policy makers and trying to influence policy makers, you have to be careful because you are an elite organizations, you are very close to policy makers, you cannot pretend to simply try to, uh, to um, you're not a social organization, you're not a political party, you're not an NGO, so how, how you find your role there between research, which has to remain the, ba the basis of your work, and actually influencing policy maker and influencing the debate. That's, to me, this is a question mark. Very good. So how much uh, should advocacy occupy uh, think tanks? Um, yes, lady, yes, please. Yeah. Hello, I'm uh, Scarlett Varga from Rugal. I actually had two questions, but I, I will narrow it down to one. Um, we had a discussion not so long ago here in Bruegel about um, difference between independence and neutrality. And I just wanted to hear your opinion, actually, mm -hmm. because when you are a think tank like Bruegel based in uh, Brussels and you have the objective to speak to everyone in Europe as well and to hear different views of different governments as well, um, is it your role or should you choose who you speak to uh, based on the values of, the, of your counterpart? Is it your role to do so, to give a message towards the outside world? Or should you, however, speak to everyone, but in the right setting? Yeah, thank you so much. So the, the two last questions, but please be very brief, because we are out of time. And you could introduce uh, yourself. Thank you. My name is Moni from uh, European Commission. Um, two burning questions. Um, we are faced with uh, two major challenges today. One is uh, the Brexit, and the other one is uh, the vision of Mr. Trump. Uh, Brexit, what could be the role of the think tanks in order to uh, smooth the uh, exit process from, uh, for, for UK? And the second burning question is, uh, Mr. Trump is uh, putting in discussion or is questioning uh, some major issues. He has a, a negative position relative to NATO, confusing ideas about Europe, is questioning multilateralism and open market. I mean, he has protectionist, etc., etc attitudes. What could be the, the, the contribution of European think tanks in order to uh, contribute to shaping uh, the new American vision towards Europe or NATO, whatever? Thank you very much. I hope Matt is going to commit uh, to organizing a few other sessions on some of these subjects because they are so uh, huge and important. And so the very last question now, please. Thank you, Professor Vincent from the MNRC. This is a neuroscience research centre, not a think tank. They said, were it not for neurosciences, we wouldn't be able to think in the first place. Uh, uh, very quickly, uh, fragmentation, fragmentation, fragmentation. Um, first thing, the think tanks are double-edged swords. I think it is important to remember that. Uh, thing se second is, um, well, this uh, absence of solidarity. Uh, exasperates me. I mean, civil societies, academics, politicians, institutions, think tanks, institutions whine, whine, and whine because the situation is becoming quite chaotic and unmanageable. Do they collaborate? No. Finally, I attended the meeting, I was invited to attend a meeting on uh, uh, International Network for Government Scientific Advice. I suggested to Peter Sobito Glockwinter that he replaces scientific by interdisciplinarity. 
science alone shall not save the world, culture alone shall not save the world, holistic interdisciplinarity might. The problem is it's a simulation. It's not that our brain can't, it's because of an obsolete, outdated educational system that is still mainstream because of very strong political financial vested interests. Thank you. Thank you so much. I would like to encourage everyone to continue our discussion on Twitter, hashtag why think tanks. I will uh, definitely share my point of view later on, on Twitter. Uh, now, given that think tanks should also be punctual, uh, let's spend uh, 30 seconds uh, each just sharing your final thoughts with us. Sophie. Uh, okay, very quick. Uh, first question on uh, this advocacy versus evidence and research uh, dichotomy. They're impossible to separate. You, uh, professionalization of think tanks has already happened. There was a reason for it. Uh, you, there's no point, there's an existential question, you know, it, what is the point of us doing this research if it doesn't impact or have any kind of influence or reach uh, whatsoever? So they're, they're inseparable. Obviously, the quality of the research has to come first. Um, second, on independence and neutrality, I think that think tanks should be fundamentally independent, but I don't think they should be neutral uh, because inherently they are trying to shine light on issues or shake a fist at something that is not being looked at. And also, I just think we need to make sure we have a diverse spectrum of views. Um, so they don't have to be neutral as long as we have diversity and plurality. Um, on Brexit, uh, I actually think that uh, Whitehall and the Commission will do a very good job at uh, managing the exit process well as good a job as you can in the circumstances. I think what think tanks should be doing is shining light on what is not going to be addressed because of Brexit. So, I mean, in the UK, we're probably looking at five to ten years of lost social policy making here because the entire government is consumed with the Brexit process. So definitely see our role at Demos to make sure that social policy remains on the agenda and helping the government with its thinking <coughs> and solving those challenges. Um, uh, on interdisciplinary thinking, yeah, I mean, I think social think tanks, for example, in the, this think tank context, social think tanks should be working with economic think tanks more. And I agree absolutely for collaboration. Wonderful, most think tanks um, have something called no institutional standpoint. I think it's a very important point that we need to keep reiterating because most people don't understand it. It allows us to be independent and when we want to be, to be neutral. Um, I want to highlight the point that w w before the Brexit vote, we deliberately worked with a Eurosceptic um, in order to, um, uh, to maintain uh, this idea of we are also a neutral platform for quality debate as well as taking an independent stand. Um, we often will take to opposing positions on a particular policy point um, uh, that is not a, a stupid idea, it allows a good quality debate. Um, I agree with Sophie on, on research and advocacy, um, um, the moment you you know, the moment you produce something, um, if you don't want it to go unread um, and not acknowledged, then you at least have to tweet it um, or tell, you know, tell someone to read it, ask someone to read it. On Brexit and Trump, um, we have written extensively on Brexit. We will continue to do so over the next two, three years. Um, uh, I know that my esteemed colleagues um, are preparing a paper on how to um, react to Mr. Trump. Uh, watch this space. Um, both of those topics will be occupying the, the good researchers of Bruegel for many years to come. Um, and I hope that we can engage with all of you um, uh, on both of those topics. Um, the interdisciplinary approach is something that, um, uh, that James McGann from the University of Pennsylvania very much thinks is a necessary next step for um, uh, for think tanks. Um, now, as an economics think tank, let's see how well um, Bruegel does that. Thank you so much, Martin. I thought your early comment about the ability of think tanks to say the unsayable also referred to one of Bruegel's uh, uh, post-Brexit referendum papers, uh, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps <laughs> that, was, uh, that could be a case study. Olena? Yeah, one word on neutral, uh, neutrality and independence. Independence, yes, 100%. Neutrality is also, you can avoid to be neutral in peaceful waters. 
No, really. When everything is settled, everybody is happy. But in, tum in turbulent times, and now I'm coming back to, to the questions on Trump, Brexit, and any other issues we will have this year, you will not uh, allow yourself neutrality. And here I refer to our Ukrainian experience three years ago, when in, in, uh, if you want, we as experts, we became rather citizens. We were acting as citizens, but armed with knowledge. Because at certain points, when something is important at stake, you have to make a choice. And you have to be very clear about what you are standing for. And then uh, on stage first comes uh, your behavior as a citizen and your responsibilities for the state. Yeah. Thank you so much. And Karina. I'm only going to respond to Trump rather than trying to convince him about the importance of Europe. It's about convincing the people around him that Europe is important. <laughs> I think that's how we need to go about it. Thank you so much. So let's continue uh, the discussion on Twitter, hashtag why think tanks. Uh, but in the meantime, I think uh, we heard a lot about uh, the need for think tanks to redouble their efforts to build uh, credibility and to ensure uh, transparency. Um, I think we heard a lot about the need to reach out and uh, ensure uh, that we take account of the uh, diversity of views and opinions that exist. Uh, but, but I also sense that this is going to be a testing time for, uh, for think tanks, uh, and we ain't seen nothing yet in that, uh, in that particular sense. So we will, we will surely gather around this question uh, in the future. Thank you so much for, for coming today, and huge thanks to, to the speakers for sharing their perspectives uh, with us today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.